what mistakes taught me the most about life? Man, you, we get to the, uh, the, the serious ones early. Uh, the, I, I would say the, the biggest mistakes, uh, well, all mistakes teach you something every step of the way. I mean, that's the way the Lord works. He's always, uh, you know, like iron, iron sharpens iron, right? Man sharpens man. Uh, we, we work through those mistakes. We know God's shaping us every step of the way. But I think the single biggest uh, mistake that impacted uh, my journey as a man had everything to do with understanding healthy relationships. Uh, as, as anyone that knows my story knows I grew up in a violent alcoholic home. I wouldn't have known a healthy relationship if it hit me between the eyes. In fact, you, you as in many inner cities, I, I think it's the same way. You build up a wall around relationships because there's only so many people you can trust or maybe you just don't trust anybody. And you build up a wall so that you don't have uh, you don't have that vulnerability uh, that would might might uh, catch you on a weak in a, you know, in a, in a might catch you at a weak moment or might give you a, a, one of those shots in the soft underbelly that knocks you over. Uh, so I grew up uh, really in a, a pretty druggy high school, uh, but I had that wall built up as a jock. We had jocks and we had the druggies. And uh, so as an athlete, I stayed away from that and put that wall up there. But I also put the wall up around uh, potential friends. And I, I look back now, even on into adulthood, and I, I look at the relationships that the Lord probably brought into my life that could have helped me get me straight earlier on, <laughs> uh, maybe before the wake-up call and almost losing my family, you know, that type of thing, uh, versus you know what, what could have been. And uh, so fortunately, I met the, 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 my love of my life in, in uh, junior college, and uh, we, we knew we were right for each other, and, and she uh, was the first real relationship that, uh, that I knew I wanted to uh, have lifelong, I wanted to commit to. And I really, uh, when we married several years later, we dated for three and a half years. We married in uh, October of 1980. I never met, meant any words more uh, sincerely than I do because I had seen five divorces in the family that I grew up in. And I told her early on I didn't want to be the sixth. <laughs> in fact, when she went to Oklahoma City to Oklahoma State University to wrap up her degree and the University of Kansas picked me up, I said, uh, make sure over these two years that you uh, look around. If you can find somebody to take better care of you, uh, then uh, you know, do that. But I didn't say better looking. I just said, don't. If you, if you can find somebody to take better care of you, do that. Because I do not want to be the sixth divorce. When we get married, we're going to stay together. And uh, so, but in those years, even, even after we married, uh, I was still very guarded in any other relationships that I had. And uh, really, it wasn't until my uh, mid-30s that I started, uh, the Promise Keepers movement came along and uh, started to introduce me to men of God that could really be real. And uh, uh, that's, uh, so those were the things that the, the Lord has done over the years uh, to, uh, you know, I, I, I probably protected myself some, from some things because of the uh, walls I built up protecting myself from drugs, protecting myself from bad, potentially bad situations through school uh, and through growing up. But uh, at the same time, uh, I probably uh, cheated myself out of some relationships. Uh, I'm so uh, blessed to see my children uh, have tremendous uh, relationships, lifelong friends 
from college. And, uh, and I just didn't have that. I didn't have it. I, I've, I've had it now since adulthood. Uh, you know, at one point, I think it was uh, in the mid-90s at a Promise Keepers conference, they said, how many men can you call at 1 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee. I'm struggling with something. And he said, most men can count that uh, number of men they can call on one hand. And I didn't have any. And uh, so that's 30 plus years ago. And today I've got easily many friends that I could call because the Lord's opened that up. But there's a, a, there's a long journey, and I think it's a mistake if we uh, don't understand and really uh, delve in understanding what a healthy relationship looks like. And that's always tough in a, because I, as, as I grew up a violent alcoholic home, ma divorced dad, uh, you know, these, there's a lot of confusion in homes today. And I think as men, we have to take responsibility to study what a healthy relationship looks like. And of course, that's in Scripture. Uh, that's, it's my relationship with Jesus the Christ that's opened up the door to learn how to love my bride and to learn how to love others and to understand that relationships are all about being available, being uh, uh, service-minded, being, you know, being willing to help in any situation, and being vulnerable to ask for help. So uh, these are the things that, uh, as men, we tend to blast through while we're trying to be successful in a given profession. So again, my, I would say that's probably one of my biggest mistakes, is not uh, delving into what a healthy relationship would look like earlier in life. Uh, so that's my encouragement today. Watch out for uh, that, that uh, breakdown in relationships that could uh, get in the way of your relationship with Christ and uh, your eternal salvation. What was one of the hardest moments of being a father and why was it hard? Uh, well, because I thought I had it by the tail. <laughs> I thought I, you know, I knew what I didn't want to be and that was like my dad, the dad that, I didn't want to be like the dad that raised me, so I just went the opposite direction. Uh, why was it hard was because I, I simplified it very much so. I put fathering in a box of being able to provide financially, which my dad that raised me couldn't do and uh, I wanted to be a disciplinarian which my dad did very well I just didn't want to do it quite as physically as he did uh, but but shoving fathering in a box uh, I realized that I hadn't learned again really how to love and uh, that's you know we we think as men we think we know what love is when we get married and and I can I can just share uh, a glimpse of God's glory, a glimpse of God's glory in, uh, uh, in the realization that, uh, man, I, I just tell you, that, uh, 43 years into marriage, I love my bride more now than the day we married. Why? Well, number one is because she's wonderful. Number two is that uh, I've learned how to love. I've learned, I'm learning more how, how to love more like Christ today than yesterday. Uh, so that's, uh, so as a father, uh, was I truly loving my children by providing and being disciplinarian? And uh, I would say that was, a, that was my uh, a breakdown as a father because, number one, uh, I thought I had it. Number one, I thought it was a confidence in ignorance. <laughs> and then secondly was that my kids weren't catching really what I wanted them to catch, which was the love I had for them, which which was pointing to the love the Heavenly Father has for them, right? So uh, I fell short, and that's, uh, that's where 
uh, as a father, uh, I really encourage dads to, uh, you know, we, we look at, uh, I think it's First Timothy 5.8 says that we're to be, uh, provide for our family. If we don't provide, then we're worse than a non-believer. Well, that provision is uh, multi-dimensional. You know, as a dad, again, I simplified it in saying that just means financial provision. Well, no, we're supposed to be bearer of divine blessings. We're supposed to be a teacher. We're supposed to be a priest in the home. You know, there's multiple dimensions that we bring to the table, which all of it adds up to unconditional love for our children. And so as a, as a dad and, and as a father, I was completely missing that. And in missing it, I really wasn't providing the example even in my marriage day to day. And so, you know, the, the most important thing we do in, our, in, in marriage for our children is exemplify uh, the love that Christ had for his church. And that's the way we love our wife. And, and then, of course, the closest thing to our relationship with Christ in the physical is that day-to-day -day example of loving our brides in the home. That's what the kids catch. That's the love the, the children see, and that's the love that we want them to catch. So it's, it's all about uh, how I almost missed the opportunity to point my children to Christ because I was able to provide financially and discipline them. And uh, that just isn't the role of a father. And uh, so as I uh, learned a little bit more and, and understood that our job was truly to emulate our Heavenly Father, that if He cared enough to send His Son to be with us physically, then we ought to prioritize our physical presence in the home. If he cared enough to send us the counselor, then we ought to be engaged with our children emotionally uh, in the home. And then finally, if he provided his book, uh, the Bible, uh, to guide us spiritually, then we need to lead spiritually by example. So through all that journey and uh, trying to shove fathering in the box, uh, our Heavenly Father worked on me to understand that it was all about emulating Him, His triune nature in the home by prioritizing my physical presence, being engaged emotionally, and leading spiritually by example. That's what we call being a faithful father. How are dads supposed to spend time with God with so much, so many responsibilities, so much going on? Uh, Nike said it best, just, just do it. Uh, just do it. I, I, I'm an early morning person. I'll just share my example. I mean, I, when I had a special project uh, in the corporate world, uh, I had to write a technical paper or something like that. I got up at four o'clock before I left at work for work at six o'clock. So if we're going to do it in the corporate world, we can do it in the spiritual world. And so when I was charged by my pastor 35 years, 30 plus years ago, uh, to read the Word of God, I got up an hour plus earlier every morning, read a couple of chapters, started in Romans and worked all the way through Jude, went back to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the Acts, and then back to Genesis and all the way through uh, to Revelation. And as I did that, that was just, that took a couple of years, but it was just a matter of getting up an hour and a half or so earlier every morning. And I would read, I would journal, I would pray, I would then go on a walk or a run and just let it soak in and then I'd go to work. So that, that's, if, if you're convicted, whatever your window of time is as a, as a priority to, to uh, as your productive time, then uh, create that time and, uh, and, and take that word in. And uh, if nothing else, uh, one other thing that I would suggest uh, is a friend of mine, uh, Ted Cooper, founded a ministry called Bible in 90 Days. And uh, that's something my bride and I took on. 
and we actually did a, a Sunday school class in our church on the Bible in 90 days. But I tell you what, if you just want to make it through Scripture, uh, that's 12 pages a day in his program. And you and your bride are reading the same word the same day, every day. Uh, it'll do wonders for your marriage, but it'll also take you through Scripture, and then it'll make you hungry to go back and get more. So uh, my encouragement is, uh, again, follow that Nike uh, guidance and just do it. Just uh, man up, be the dad you're called to be, and do it. Our dad's supposed to find community when everyone has so many responsibilities. I, you, you have to think of what community is. What is community? It can be a battle buddy. It can be a brother. It can be uh, one other man. Uh, it may be a church. It may be a group of men in the church. It may be a group of men at work. Uh, so back up a little bit and, and, and think about what the community is that you want to get involved in. Uh, and as you look at that, and, and like I said, it, it may just be a, a, a good friend. It may be an acquaintance. It may be someone that you've uh, kind of admired from a distance, maybe an elder in the church, and you just like to get to know him better. Then, then approach that gentleman and say, hey, would you like to meet me for lunch uh, or a breakfast? And, and during that breakfast, say, uh, I really would like to have a sounding board. Uh, and I, you, I've been praying about uh, the Lord bringing a man in my life. Would you uh, be interested in being that sounding board for me as I work through this time in my life? You know, so you can be as candid or as real as you want to be. That may be a little bit too uh, personal and in-depth uh, right out of the box. If you're looking for something a little more uh, casual, I would say find your, uh, your, your, uh, uh, your, your, your bent, your hobby. Is it hunting? Is it, you know, I, a lot of fellows have some great fellowship and community on a deer lease. Uh, it, it may be uh, in a sport or a golfing outing. And then those brothers just, the key is don't just go and, and, and uh, this isn't a time where you're, you're gonna go have fun and just kick back and drink beer and what have you. That's not, the, uh, that's not the objective of this community that I'm talking about. This community is actually a supportive community, not meaning necessarily in a counseling mode, but in a uh, friendship mode. And uh, at the end of the day, I think men are, are starving for friends. I know I was. And uh, as, as I began to allow myself to be more vulnerable with uh, a couple of men, I found it easier with a larger group of men. So it, it may be a matter of some one-on-one -on -one friendships that you want to nurture, but uh, I do want to encourage you to be intentional in going to find those guys. Uh, again, it may be someone that's in your circles now. It may be someone that's not. It may be, uh, like I said, a gentleman at church. It might be a peer in their workplace. Uh, those, those are the things that you uh, want to seek out. And, and uh, again, just I would encourage a couple of things. One is to be praying about it. <laughs> uh, prayer is always uh, the most powerful means that we have to start a new relationship because it's about our relationship with Christ that allows us to pray to begin with. Uh, but then secondly is to keep your ears open and your eyes open to that guy that says, you know, uh, nobody's going to be perfect, but there may be someone that uh, you just admire as far as being knowledgeable in the Word of God possibly, or just uh, proficient in, in your area of expertise and you just want to know a little bit more about him. Uh, because usually when someone is disciplined in one area of their life to be successful, then they're going to be disciplined in other areas of their lives as well. So, uh, but again, uh, understand that 
a lot of times the first effort isn't the best effort in the uh, in the successful effort, but uh, but there are several ways you can go about it. One on one, one on you know find three or four buddies uh, with common interests, or uh, a group in the church, a Sunday school, or a, a group of dads in the church, and uh, certainly. Uh, as faithful fathers, there's studies out there of dads becoming heroes. If there's a couple of young dads you want to team up with, that's a great way to start uh, with that kind of fellowship because you have a common interest of being the best dad you can be, and then you have an opportunity to work through a study that's going to open you up a little bit. So uh, it's, 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 uh, it's not an easy journey uh, to build that community, but it is uh, from, from this Old gentleman, I'll just share that it's one of the most significant things I ever did to find that first friend and then a group of friends and then larger groups. My wife is dealing with depression and, and anxiety. How do I stay strong and healthy to fulfill her needs when she can't fulfill mine? You know, this, uh, when, when men think about marriage, they don't, uh, when they first married, they don't see beyond the, the better, the health and the richness of the being rich. Uh, but it's actually for better or worse in, sick, in sickness or in health and uh, for richer or poorer. Uh, so there's no guarantees that everything is going to stay rosy and in fact I can tell you that it won't <laughs> if you're young married uh, just that's realization. Uh, there will be challenges and that's part of the journey of marriage that's the health uh, of that relationship and uh, but one thing that we always have to recognize as men that uh, our marriage is Christ's relationship with the church. And what did Christ do? Uh, he gave himself up for her. So once we realize that we're supposed to die for our wives, everything else pretty well falls into line. Uh, but there's also a thing in there called selflessness. And I think uh, we're, we're selfless in our love and our unconditional love for our brides. So there isn't anything about our needs that we need to be concerned with because we're, we're needless. In this situation, we're selfless, and uh, so what men need sometimes is some selfless improvement, uh, meaning that it's it's about being more Christ-like. There isn't anything about self-satisfaction or or payback or equal time or anything along those lines. Uh, what we uh, what we have to do is live into that. Now, in this particular situation where you're dealing with depression and anxiety. Uh, obviously, uh, counseling is highly recommended, and uh, there are professional. I always like here in Houston. Uh, there's a Houston Center for Christian Counseling. Uh, nationally, uh, focus on the family or family life. We'll have a network of counselors available, Christian counselors that will help you through this. Counseling is not a stigma of problems. It's a it's a tool. It's a resource to uh, help us draw closer to Christ, to have that strength that we're promised. In the power of the resurrected Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you have what you need, husband, to love your wife unconditionally. Now, the world tries to distract us from that. We get tired. We get worn down. Uh, it's just the reality of the situation. So the counseling will help undergird you in that area. Uh, I would all, you know, whether it's counseling, uh, professional counseling, or whether it's counseling support from your church, these are things that you can do to uh, to to step into this situation a little more uh, intentionally, uh, with a little more education, and uh, to be there for your bride as you need to be, because she needs your light. You're the light in her life, and that's the light that's going to blast through the anxiety and the depression that's trying to uh, envelop her. 
So uh, what you have to do, what my encouragement is, is identify the shadows that have uh, possibly created the anxiety and the uh, depression and blast your life through those shadows as best you can. And, uh, and get your bride that support as well. There may be uh, counseling and, and uh, women available in the church that have been through that valley. I guarantee you there have been marriages in your circles that have been through that valley. Uh, connect with those. This is not a time to be a Lone Ranger husband and a Lone Ranger dad. Uh, it's a time to find those support groups and, uh, and those battle buddies that'll be praying for you, but then also that'll uh, physically and emotionally come beside you and give you that strength and clarity through this time because it's uh not like uh not like ra uh, not unlike raising children that you may think that you've uh, you've raised one child so the next one's going to be easy no we we're facing everybody's facing these situations in their marriage or with their child with that child for the first time so find that support group to uh help provide some insight and some clarity to help you make healthy decisions
are meant to be sexually, stay sexually pure when there's so much temptation around. Boy, there is no lack of temptation necessarily. You've got the pop-ups on your screen and uh, all this stuff of scantily clad women and, and uh, they're trying to tell us that men are different from women. Uh, this is uh, tough times for men uh, to really navigate well. And uh, so my encouragement is to number one, realize that that's reality. It's like uh, when my son first ran across a pornographic image, you know, I, I didn't get mad at him. I just said, uh, uh, they're beautiful, aren't they? Women are beautiful. That's what Adam meant when he said, uh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He said, God, you did good work here. The women are beautiful and they are. Now, my, my challenge with my son was, do you want to go down a fantasy uh, relationship road or do you want to go down a reality relationship road? And uh, so that's the basic uh, understanding of, of what the temptation is all about. It's taking us down a fantasy road that isn't real and it isn't uh, uh, worth chasing after. So, but the first point, of course, is to re recognize your own vulnerability. I always call them vulnerability groups. They're not accountability groups uh, until somebody is vulnerable. So I encourage you to find at least one battle buddy that is uh, one friend that is uh, you can be vulnerable with. And they understand your struggles and they're able to ask you those questions. It might be as simple as every time you meet for a, a, a cup of coffee or a lunch is, uh, uh, are you clean? That's a fair question any time with a battle buddy. Are you clean? And uh, then let them know what areas, what temptations have been uh, there, and uh, take responsibility for those. Uh, the scripture says that we're actually absolutely supposed to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus the Christ. So the first thing is to recognize when that thought snaps in there, that lustful thought about an image or about a woman in, in, in your mind or whatever the case may be, uh, you've got to capture that thought and, and make it obedient to Christ. Say, Lord, this is the devil throwing this image at me. I rebuke it in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ, and you, you flush it away from your system. You, you clean it from your screen. You do whatever you have to do to stay clean. But you accept the responsibility that you owe uh, in marriage, or even if you're not married, you still have the responsibility to be pure for the woman you will marry uh, and, uh, and, and stay, uh, stay committed to that sexual purity uh, so that you can enjoy the, the healthy relationship uh, that you're called to in marriage. I'm not connecting a church as I feel the ministries are not geared toward me, so what can I do? I would encourage you to uh, meet with the pastor and uh, see what's happening. You know, uh, hey, I'm, I'm not engaging here. Uh, is it me or is there something else I could do to, uh, to bring, to fire some things up here for men? Uh, and if you, if you get a blank stare, or you, you, then, then it's maybe a time to change a church. Uh, but I would, I would say that uh, uh, you, you, you find what's going to click there for you. Again, it's like uh, finding that group, that community. Find the ministry that you can engage in. It might, maybe you're a service-oriented guy. Maybe they build ramps for folks that need access in and out of a, uh, of a home. So you can get engaged in the service ministry of that church. 
If it doesn't have one and you're service-oriented, then I'll find a church that does have one or find another ministry, maybe outside of the church, that you can engage in. So you, it, you know, the ministry doesn't have to be necessarily tied directly to your church. It may be an outside ministry, like Faithful Fathering. It's a parachurch ministry that uh, if you have a heart, that's always my challenge to you. If you have a heart for fathers, then uh, give us a call at Faithful Fathering. We'll uh, line you up with some ministry that will engage you with other dads and encourage you on your journey along the way. But uh, I, would, I would just say be very candid with your pastor. Don't be afraid to uh, set up a meeting with your pastor and talk about it. Uh, talk to other men in the church that may be of similar age as you are. And uh, just say, hey, what can we do? Can we start up a volleyball night at the church? Or can we start up a, uh, a basketball night and just kind of have some fellowship? But make sure there's always a, a spiritual component to that time together. Uh, that's that's why we call it a ministry in the church. It may it may be a, a softball ministry, a, a, a baseball ministry, a volleyball ministry, or a, a, a ramp building or a, a service ministry. Uh, there's all kinds of ways you can do that. But I would encourage you to to get in sync with what you want to do as a in ministry and and find a you know find talk with your pastor about what might what the church has the, the church every church tr struggles on uh, what what ministries to engage because they can't do everything so uh, there may be a few they've decided and your pastor can tell you why they decided to go that way and uh, but they may be open to to something else that you want to introduce or uh, the past a good pastor will always say hey I know of this ministry that would be very very complimentary to you or even another church that would be complimentary to you so uh, that, uh, that's where I would say is don't write off the church, don't write off the pastor until you have a chance to sit down face-to-face -face with the pastor and discuss what, uh, what ministries you're interested in. So uh, just be diligent and be purposeful, be uh, uh, intentional that uh, if your heart is for ministry, then that church is going to find a way to engage you, I guarantee you. My kids aren't listening to me. How do I make sure they receive the guidance they need to go in the right direction? I, I think that uh, you look at the direction you're going. <laughs> might be the first start because uh, they're going to catch what you have, Dad. And uh, so you want to make sure what you have is worth catching. But, uh, but the way uh, to make sure they're listening to you is if they're young kids, uh, you always talk to young kids right before they're going to bed because they never want to go to bed. So they'll listen to you. If you have a teenage boy, you uh, don't feed him until he talks to you, and you, you make sure he listens to you. Uh, a couple of sarcastic uh, sides there, but there are secrets you can have. I mean, taking a young man out for a hamburger, uh, you'll have a time to talk with him, and you can just have a chance to, to converse. Uh, for my son and I, there's a lot of windshield time going to baseball tournaments. And uh, you know the the thing we have to realize as dads is that we don't get to con we don't get to control that quality of time when they're really going to listen or we're really going to engage in a conversation. What we have to do is provide that quantity of time. And uh, so what we do there is uh, create those opportunities. And I do encourage one-on-one -on -one opportunities. You know, take your son out for an ice cream, take your uh, daughter out for a lunch or a breakfast uh, morning. You know, these are the things you can do to hang out a little bit and uh, have those discussions. And as a result, as uh, if you start early, it's going to become natural. Now, I, I do warn dads with teenage daughters that McDonald's doesn't work anymore and uh, or Chick-fil-A. Uh, you have to take them out to a nicer restaurant. And that's okay, because then you're teaching them how, young, how a man treats a young lady. 
and uh, you're opening the door for her in a car, then you're outruling 95% uh, of the boys in high school, which is always a good, uh, good uh, criteria. But I, I would encourage a candid discussion and, and creating those opportunities, and, uh, and, and they will listen to you. Uh, there's, there's, in fact, uh, as they become teenagers, uh, studies have shown that kids want to talk to mom and dad about sex and about relationships. But parents typically are either too busy, uh, not engaged, or they're struggling with issues themselves. So as a dad, as you, take as you begin to be more intentional to have those discussions, then they'll see you as worth listening to when it comes to more serious topics. So uh, just be intentional. Uh, again, that's a good word for fathering. Uh, be intentional in your efforts to have that one-on-one -on -one time to build a relationship that uh, that is one that they want to stay engaged in and that they will respect and listen to at key junctures of life. What's the what's the best way to make sure my kids have a strong foundation in faith as they make their way to college? It starts early, uh, but with that said, if you have not started early, that's not to suggest it's ever too late. It's never too late. Uh, the first the, the first thing is to uh, pray. Pray for your child by name every day. Let them know what you're praying for them. Uh, in uh, our study of Dad's Armor, I talk about uh, the prayer guide uh, that you pray over your child. And uh, it, it, we, I started at a young age when they were asleep, I prayed over them. Uh, then I prayed it daily for them, even after they left for school or at, when, when they were about their day, I prayed for, pray daily for them that they would, uh, that they would get in sync with the unique giftedness that God has uh, given them, that they would uh, uh, meet that right person that would uh, learn to love and care for them as Christ loves and cares for the church, uh, that they would be blessed with a happy and healthful marriage and family later in life with kids that come to know Christ just as they have. So these are prayers that we can pray specifically and of course you customize them to your kids as as they uh, in their own unique giftedness and their own situations but praying for your child by name every day is uh, well I'll just share that's why I'm here uh, as a founder and president of faithful fathering I'm here because my mother prayed for me every day of my life and I did not even know that uh, she had no idea what valleys I was in uh, in my teen years my 20s and 30s uh, but uh, she was praying for me every day. And uh, so uh, that's the single biggest thing we can do is to make sure that we're praying. And then as they, as they become uh, of age or uh, begin to understand it, you can let them know what you are praying for them. And that connects you spiritually. And then you're praying with them uh, what the prayers are. You can ask them what the, what the prayer, uh, what, uh, what, what, your, what your prayer concerns are. And, you know, it's, Kids normally want to have a checklist, but you start to build up the fact that it is about a relationship with Christ is what prayer is. It's a conversation with God. And uh, so as, as they start to get in those teen years, then you're teaching them and helping them understand that it's important they have their own prayer life. So they're praying for uh, their friends or their situations and, uh, and their relationships themselves. And then when you ask them if... Uh, uh, do you have any prayer concerns that I can be praying for you? Uh, then you can have a dialogue, a spiritual dialogue about what's, uh, you know, what, what is there that we need to lift up in prayer today. 
And so as your children begin to see how grounded you are in prayer, then uh, they start to understand how important that relationship is. Now, you throw in there the fact that you're exemplifying. If you're leading by example, your kids should catch you reading Scripture on occasion. They should catch you and Mom praying together. They should catch uh, uh, the, the fact that you're leading the way to church. And uh, that alone, uh, a dad leading the way to church, 93% of the time the kids will stay in church, stay in the faith as an adult. So, Dad, as a, that's your review. When, when our Heavenly Father shares the moniker Father with us, uh, there's tremendous power in that. And that power can be to build up their faith or to lead them down another road. But that's on you, Dad. And that's not to suggest that you're a failure if your kids make a bad decision or a bad choice. That's not the call here, Dad. I'm just telling you that if you do what you're called to do, the likelihood that your children will stay in the faith through college is much stronger than if not. So uh, just do what you can do, uh, be who you are, and uh, empower uh, a relationship with God so that God can do what He does in your child's life.